0: Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged on Boxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of our podcast, uh, delighted that you could join us. Should be a fun uh, episode. We're going to be visiting with Tom Yankello, uh, who is a uh, a very very good boxing trainer and has made an important niche for himself with his YouTube channel, the World Boxing Class uh, channel, uh, in which he does a lot of instructional videos, and it's really fascinating. And uh, one of the other main reasons we wanted to chat with Tom. Is that he will be working with Roy Jones Jr. when he fights Mike Tyson uh, in November? So we have a lot to talk about with Tom uh, for sure. And uh, joining me, as always, my friend and co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. And you know, it's funny. In the last week, while you're getting ready for your big doubleheader pay per view, all the work. But you're starting to hear stuff come out of Roy Jones' camp that maybe this was a big mistake, that Tyson is too tough. It It's funny how the fight game never changes. There's always certain things that fighters do to
1: promote an upcoming fight. Right, yeah. There's always stuff. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you know, Tom's conversation with us is very interesting. I think people are going to get a kick out of hearing it because he's a very analytical guy. Uh, and I mentioned his... YouTube channel, which if people go on there and take a look at it, uh, they will they will see that he's very analytical about the sport of boxing. And he's approached this um, in a very specific and analytical way for Roy Jones Jr. Of course, the problem with all of that is once you're inside the ring, if somebody who's powerful like Tyson hits you too well, uh, all the analytics go out the window. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. And uh you know, as people, when they hear the interview, they'll hear the fact that essentially they're approaching this like a, a regular boxing match. You know, other than the fact that there are 12-ounce gloves and it, they've reduced the amount of rounds to eight rounds, he said nobody's talked to him about approaching this as an exhibition. So we'll see how that, how that goes when, uh, when it happens.
0: Well, it should be a lot of fun. And I had a chance, uh, second honeymoon down in Cancun. And had your book with me. And the amount of people who came up and asked me if I knew Al Bernstein, it was mostly in Spanish. But uh, you had a uh, great—you talked about Mike Tyson and how the first time you met him, and you were doing the Top Rank series, and he called you Mr. Bernstein. And that was—you said, watch out for people who call you Mr. Bernstein.
1: Yeah, well, that didn't—you know, now Mike Tyson and I have a very nice, cordial relationship. There was a little brief period in the middle where he wasn't too happy with— uh, the ESPN folks and the way they covered his trial, even though I had nothing to do with that. Um, but, uh, there was a period there where let's just put it this way. He wasn't calling me Mr. Bernstein. So, and, and, which is interesting and ironic because if there's one thing I can say, it's that very few times have I had a, uh, a relationship with boxers that are, uh, that is anything but pleasant. Uh, However, there was this one other guy, wasn't there?
0: <laughs> well, there, you know, and I, I forget his name, but he's talking about having a comeback in January. We haven't determined who he's going to fight, but that's a Adrian Broner, your, your best Our friend. Pal
1: Adrian Broner, yes, who is, uh, uh, is um, apparently going to return in January. Uh, they have not talked about his opponent. And, of course, he's fighting on Showtime where he fights, which means he and I will – Get a chance to exchange pleasantries once again, um, which I'm sure uh, you know no one can can wait can uh, can wait for. The anticipation is great, uh, and uh, and he's going to come back. So we'll see what he you know he claims he's coming back at a as a 140 pounder, uh, which is certainly more appropriate for him than coming back at 147 pounds, uh, and. Uh, we'll see how it flies and who he'll fight. He he hasn't had a win since I think 2017. He's had a draw and a couple losses, and um, so while he took time off, <coughs> excuse me, for his uh, his rap career to skyrocket, I'm not sure if that has. Uh, he he is now uh, serious about boxing. I get a, we're joking around about it. I get a lot of. Uh, Uh, people asking me so how do you uh divest yourself in terms of on the one hand here's a guy that has clearly apparently has a very uh uh rancorous uh relationship with you or uh and has difficulty with you and has in public been you know not so nice how do you you know compartmentalize that and then just announce his fight like he's any other fighter and you know that's not a problem for me once the fight starts it's all the leading up to it that you have to kind of get past you know you have to get past the press asking you about it Uh, you have to get past actually doing fight uh, talent fighter meetings with him you have to get past all that in some fashion once the actual match starts honestly I, I have the same attitude that I always have, and that is, uh, you're just there to to call a fight, and and I know what his strengths are, I know what his weaknesses are, I know, you know, I'm going to use the same kind of notes about well, here's how many times he went ten rounds, uh, here's how many times you know he he scored an early knockdown, uh, here's 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 his lack of volume punching, and here's the times where he did more volume punching, and so that made it more effective. I'm just going to, I just stick to all that and analyze the fight in front of me, and uh, I'm in safe territory. Well, it's it's always
0: interesting when announcers have a challenge with the fighters and vice versa. And the, the one that I can remember is uh, Larry Merchant uh, got on the bad side of a couple fighters, including Floyd Mayweather, and that makes for great television.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and here's the other thing. Larry Merchant, it, it depends on the broadcaster and it depends on the fighter, too, right? <clears throat> because Larry, <clears throat> Larry Merchant had, was a completely different kind of broadcaster than I am. Very, everything about us is, is, is different in many, in many ways. I mean, it's just a different approach and a different way of, of going at it. So you're going to get a different kind of a, uh, you know, of a, of a dynamic from that. And yeah, it did make for some intriguing uh, television, that's for sure. So, And and I'm a believer, a huge believer, that we're not really the story when uh, when boxing's happening. We're simply there to chronicle the events, it help, you, help you enjoy it, enhance what you see in front of you. We are not meant to overpower the event. We're not meant to be the person you're thinking of specifically. Of course, I want people to enjoy my commentary. I want them to... Uh, for it to be memorable to them, but the goal is not to take the the uh, uh, focus away from the fighters.
0: And last comment before we go to the questions. Uh, maybe the uh, group over at HBO didn't feel that way because sometimes their announcers didn't really focus on the fight, I've noticed.
1: Yeah, it was a different approach. You know, they, they. I always say it this way, and this is where, uh, this is the the. The best, most diplomatic, and maybe most accurate way for me to phrase it. There's two different ways to, there seems to become, have become two different ways to announce boxing. Uh, you can annou- you can call the fight, which is the way we, our philosophy at Showtime has, all the time I've been there has always been, and it's always been my philosophy in general on all broadcast teams I've worked, where you're focusing in on the fight at hand. There may be moments where you bring in outside extraneous factors, like where this fighter is in the pecking order of, of welterweights or middleweights, um, uh, what somebody else just did because it has a bearing on them, that kind of stuff. But you're focused on that bout almost exclusively. Then there are some people that—and and so you're you're, you're literally— Reacting to what's happening plus throwing in anecdotal material. Some people discuss the fight as it's going on. And that's another approach. And that's become a very popular approach. This is true in sports casting in general, for all sporting events, not just boxing. There is, do you want to discuss the event as it's going on without necessarily being always specific to what's happening? Uh, and that can lead you, of course, into areas, as you point out, Tripp, that they're discussing something that's completely irrelevant to what we're watching. Um, or do you want to just call? And, uh, and that, I, they had a philosophy that was much more in the discussion area.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's nice to see. I think boxing fans are paying money or paying for showtime or paying for a pay-per-view to watch the fight and that they would vastly prefer commentators talking specifically about what they spent their money on.
1: Well, that's my opinion uh, overall, and I think that's true in all sports. I, I, I want, whether it's uh, that or it's a NBA basketball game or – I'm not suggesting that there you can't do humor and, and make – the first thing someone will say is, well, you and Morrow, just on this last show, you guys had some funny comments about extraneous, uh, you know, about pop culture references and whatever. Yeah, that, that's different. I mean – I don't mind any broadcaster bringing that in and make, having a fun moment for 20 seconds. That's all. That's different than let's say d- deciding you're going to discuss player A, and for four trips back and forth uh, in a basketball game. I don't want to hear three people discussing this specific power forward. For three for two minutes, while we've just seen four trips back and forth in the in the game, and they've barely referenced it, that's just not what I want, and I don't want it in boxing either. Look, you got me all wound and up, the... Trip. Look at what you did. Are you <laughs> well, proud of yourself want... now?
0: Get get you all wound up here <laughs> early in the week. You've got a lot of work to do this week. Well, are you exactly. ready to get to the
1: questions? Pardon. Are you ready
0: to get to the questions? Yeah, I believe
1: I am. I'm going to okay. do my best. Okay. <laughs> How important is it
0: for boxing to have a good last quarter in 2020?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very good question that we got. And 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 uh, I'm not one of those people that, you know, talks about, oh, my God, this guy is falling and, you know, the sport needs this and the sport needs that. I, I tend to, to react in a more... Uh, uh, Stoic way about about different things that happen and that sometimes actually bothers people. But in this instance I'm going to say that it's pretty darn important for the sport of boxing that the rest of 2020 Go well that the good matches that we have on on tap that they actually produce and that uh, Additional matches are added that are good. There are some really good matches on 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 the on the board Uh, and they need to, hopefully, fingers crossed, and you can never tell for sure, they need to be good, you know. Um, we've got a big pay, the big pay-per-view we have coming up. Uh, Lopez Lomachenko, Wilder Fury, uh, you know, they're, uh, uh, Spence and, um, uh, and Garcia. Uh, a, a bunch of other fights. There's a number of them. And some at a slightly lower level than that that look like they're great on paper. But the sport really needs to have them produced.
0: Well, fantastic. And uh, by the way, one of the chapters in your book I really enjoyed where you talked about how the world of MMA fights and boxing can mutually coexist and help each other out. And with that regard, I really found that very interesting because a lot of people look at the antagonism between the sports.
1: Yeah, and and it speaks in a way and directly to this point because people always say, oh, look, if MMA is doing well and boxing isn't or they're doing this and we're doing this, you know, the, the two can coexist quite nicely i think and uh uh and, and i and you know combat sports is a big tent certainly
0: uh next question very interesting from the broadcast standpoint were you ever nervous to meet any famous broadcasters
1: yeah it's, it's intriguing you know i I've, I've talked on this show about how when i first met don dunphy who was a you know boyhood idol of mine that i was nervous meeting him and he set me at ease immediately because he was such a gracious man and became a friend and a mentor. But there were a few others. Uh, You know, I met uh, when I did the Hagler-Hearns fight in 1985, uh, Kurt Gowdy was the host uh, of the evening. And I, you know, I was only five years into my broadcasting career. I had never met Kurt Gowdy. And, you know, I kind of grew up in a way, not as a young, young man, but in a way I did, uh, watching Kurt Gowdy. And so meeting him was—and was, uh, working with him was—I'm like, oh, boy, you know, this is a, this is a tricky one. And uh, he was delightful, of course. And that's the one thing I can say about all these people I'm going to mention. They were wonderful. Uh, the other gentleman that uh, was kind of daunting for me was Dick Enberg, who I met for the first time at the 1992 uh, Olympics. Uh, Dick Enberg, to me, represents— everything you want in a host-slash-play-by-play announcer uh, doing sports. He is everything that I want when I'm watching a broadcast. And to this day, one of my favorite announce teams of all time was him and Merlin Olson, who I think were, were spectacular on football. Uh, and, and Dick did every sport. Uh, and when I met him, you know, I, even, I said to myself... Does Dick Enberg, is even hip to me? Does he even know who I am? This is 1992. I've been around for a while. But, you know, I don't know. He's he's only done, he only did a couple of boxing matches in his life and did an excellent job on him. I mean, I think he did uh, Ali Shavers on NBC or something along those lines. So I was at the um, compound, the Olympic compound in Barcelona, and I said, well, I'm going to just walk up to him and say hello. And, uh, you know, we're all there in the meal area. And I went up and I said, "Dick, you know, Al Bernstein." He said, "Well, sure, I know who you are." And I'm like, "Okay, well, that's good. We're past the first step." Uh, <laughs> and, he, and he was very gracious, and we had a lovely conversation. I even had lunch with him. Uh, you know, a week later, we were he, we were there, and he said, "Well, come on, let's go have lunch." And then he was asking me questions about you know the Olympic boxing, and uh, it was it was delightful. But yeah, you you know, I, I think when you reach the point in life where you're not nervous about bumping into somebody. Not so much somebody that's famous, but somebody you respect, right? Uh, I mean, there's a difference, isn't there, in that? Well, there is. And uh, who
0: is the worst person? that Oh, we can't do that, I guess. You're oh,
1: too... see, you did it again. You you're, you want to be a career-breaker, Trip? Every once in a while, there's this little, you know how they show the, the devil guy over here and the good guy over here? Your devil guy comes out every once in a while. And he wants to... <laughs> <laughs> Once well, get me in trouble. Uh, but someday you'll succeed, and I'll say something really controversial, and that'll probably that'll probably be good for the podcast, right? Because it'll get all kinds of attention. So
0: it, it, exactly. And yeah. you never had the g- misfortune that I did of working with Robin Leach for a number of years. So.
1: Oh, Robin, he was a character. Yes, Robin was a character. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, started he was reality easiest, television, was television,
0: but uh, anyway. Okay, and yeah, I, final... I wouldn't
1: think Robin was the easiest. All right, so we're going to uh, talk now to Tom Yankello, correct? Yep. That'd be a lot and, of fun. Uh, so uh, this was an interview that I, I, I was interested to do because of two things. One, of course, Tom's working with um, um, Roy Jones Jr. for the uh, Tyson fight. And secondly, because he's got a very unique uh, YouTube channel that I will discuss with him in which uh, he does a lot of instruction, and and it's a very popular channel, and and it that is intriguing since it's directed very much at people that are involved in the sport of boxing. So here is our conversation with Tommy Ankello. Tom, thanks for joining us. Uh, it is a, a great opportunity to get a chance to talk to somebody who is doing a lot in teaching the sport of boxing. You've been a trainer, of course, you're um, uh, for a long, long time, and now you've found a very unique way of communicating uh, with folks that want to learn the sport of boxing through your world-class uh, boxing channel. Uh, what was the thing that gave you the idea to do that? Well, you know, I just,
2: the love of the the love of the game, the love of the sport, and just wanting to give something back to the sport, I just feel like the, a lot of teachers in the sport are, are gone, and I just feel like that the the, uh, the sport really needs a lot, a lot more teaching of the fundamentals of the game, and I think that it's dissipated over the years. And uh, that's what I do on my channel. I really focus on a lot of uh, teaching, a lot of different styles of different boxers and different fundamentals of the game, and uh, I try to give you know tips on uh, the body mechanics of throwing punches and. You know the, the art of defense and yeah just so on and so on but it was just you know it's something that I wanted to you know really uh try to reach as many
1: people as I can worldwide
2: and and you know the YouTube is just a great way to do it.
1: It is your channel on YouTube has many many videos uh, in which you uh um, do demonstrations and and give uh, instructions and uh the, the variety of the videos is, is interesting to me because, you know, I think back, you know, back in the stone age when I was a, an amateur boxer back in Chicago, um, I think of if there had been such a thing as YouTube and the internet and a world-class boxing channel, it would have been very beneficial in addition to what the person that was coaching me did to look at these videos. And is that kind of what you're thinking of that this is going to, augment other instruction that people get and, and maybe pique their interest in doing boxing. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's a, it's a great, uh, you know,
2: channel to be able to help trainers as well, because, you know, um, you know, boxing is, is, is in, in America, you know, I mean, just worldwide is, is, uh, you know, not as big as some of the other sports. So you don't have as many guys, and and, and the, the revenue to be a coach is, you know, it's not the greatest. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, everybody's played football. Everybody, I mean, a lot right. of people play football, play basketball. So you always have people that have experience. And with boxing, you have a lot of people that go into coaching boxing just because they love the sport. But they don't really have a lot of experience. Right. So coaches in, in boxing that, our coaches, I hate to say it, but by default, because they, you know, they're looking for, uh, you know, volunteers, like even myself, I have a hard time finding help, help for my gym, you know. So um, to be able to train the trainers, if you will, sometimes, and in some of my videos, what I try to do as well as help the fighters and the young fighters that, um, like I said, by default, May have a lot of people helping them that don't have boxing experience
1: or training experience because
2: uh, just this the way it is in the sport,
1: you know? Right? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point, and uh, and a lot of these these. Um, the, the, in the amateur gyms around the United States, the mission of amateur boxing goes beyond learning boxing as you well know and uh, for those people that are involved in amateur boxing they know it's about helping uh, young men and women so a lot of the, the the boxing trainers as you point out have a smattering of experience but they're they're really there to try and help these kids and these young people so they may not have the greatest uh, boxing training skills, but things like this can, can really uh, enhance them. Now, you, um, uh, of course, you've trained professional fighters and, uh, and great amateurs uh, over the course of your career. And um, one of the things that you are currently involved in right now uh, is with uh, one of the most famous boxers uh, of the last 50 years. Um, You are helping Roy Jones Jr. as he prepares for this November, uh, it's November 23rd or 28th, right? 28th, yeah. November 28th uh, match exhibition, we'll get into that about what it is, with with Mike Tyson. Um, You have a long history, don't you, with Roy? I do, I do. Uh,
2: We started working with each other about uh, off and on. Well, we started about nine, ten years ago. Uh, that we first started working with each other we worked off and on from like usually from about now nah, from about 2011 to 2014 we worked periodically uh with each other uh i worked with him uh for two training camps for uh two of his fights in 2011 2012 but i've also have done training with him uh, all the way up to like 2015 periodically he would come and and uh, we would do training sessions together, so we we, we built up a rapport over the years. So when this fight got announced, uh, I just hit him up and just told him, you know, I I had done so many. It was kind of ironic, but I was actually going to do an instructional uh, video on the Peekaboo style on Mike Tyson. And I had, I broke Mike Tyson down on probably a dozen occasions on my channel with short videos, but I was going to do an extensive thing on the peekaboo style and this fight got got announced so you know I just called Roy and I just told him I said this is like uh you know really something we need to get back together and, and work on for this you know work together for this fight because I know Mike I really have studied his style over the years and uh it's one of my you know I really enjoyed enjoy him as a, as a great fighter and uh I know Roy so and I know what Roy has to do to be able to uh, you know, capitalize on, on Mike Tyson's weaknesses and, you know, to nullify his strengths. So that's something that uh, what we're doing right now in camp.
1: So um, this event uh, in November, how would you characterize it? Are you preparing Roy Jones for what you consider a full on boxing match? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're taking it as that.
2: We really are. Okay. I mean, we're not, uh, I mean, the way we're looking at it is, uh, from what I understand, the, way, the reason it's an exhibition is because there will be no judges. Um, and the, the gloves are going to be 12 ounces instead of tens. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it is, you know, we're preparing for a fight. I mean, we're preparing for a fight because, uh, well, I don't I don't think Mike Tyson really has he doesn't his gear is to is to come right at you I and mean, I don't know how he's going to fare in trying to you know pull anything back and, and do anything less than what he's done his whole career so you know we're preparing for real fight and I mean i I just think I don't think there's been anything in the in the uh, the rules or anything saying that they're not going to fight it's just okay reason it's classified as an exhibition is just the simple fact that there are no ju- – there's not going to be a decision, and they're going to fight with a little bit bigger gloves. Mm. But we know that, you know, I mean, what's that to a 12-ounce glove to a 10-ounce glove? Maybe it shuts down the velocity a little bit, but, they get you know, it's not uh, it's not much of a difference
1: in this thing. How many rounds I, are they going to go?
2: And, and that's the other thing. Instead of it being a, a, a 12-round championship fight or a 10-rounder, it's going to be eight rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just two rounds left. Two more ounces of of glove on your hand. Uh, Still no headgear. No no judges. But they're going to be you know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of pride and and ego, if you will, and going to be involved in this for bragging rights forevermore. So you know we're definitely preparing for it uh, as such as a fight.
1: What has it been work uh, like getting back with the 2020 version of Roy Jones Jr. as opposed to the version of <clears throat> eight or nine or 10 years ago? Uh, what have you seen in him in terms of uh, any differences physically or um, the way he approaches the sport or, or even what he's learned just from uh, additional time observing the sport and being involved in it? And, of course, he is a fine trainer as well, so he works on that part of the sport all the time too. Right.
2: And I and I feel that um he he is much more um he's he's very in tune to more technical stuff than he was before. Uh-huh. I credit that to being uh like you said, he's been he can train boxers and he sees it from right. a different different viewpoint. And um you know Roy, was so dominant in his prime that he got away from the lights, and that's the only thing. Like I beg to differ with how great he was as as not just an athlete, how great he was even as a technician. Mm-hmm. I think if you, wa- if you watch him in his prime, uh, James Tony Prime and middleweight prime, super middle, I mean, he showed a great skill set. Then when he went up to light heavyweight, I mean, he became so dominant that he almost became bored, and mm-hmm. he would, then he you know, he started to develop some things that we could classify as, you know, as bad habits. And right. some some of the things that he did, he started to, you know, uh, like I said, break down some of his technical things because just for the simple fact that he wasn't using them because he didn't right. need to, you know, uh, you know, basic fundamentals and jabs and things that he that he didn't, uh, that he was able to just put his hands down, even his hands behind his back and do things to guys. Yeah. And, and, and he got away from those things, you know, so that's where I come in and uh, refresh his memory of the things that he's capable of doing because, I mean, Roy Jones, I could tell you is much more than just a great athlete and, you know, reflexes and speed. I mean, he has a great skill set, And if you watch, if you go in the archives of his, of his films, and you really, really studied him as a fighter. And you look at when he was a middleweight in his younger days, I mean, and as an Olympian, I mean, you see him doing, like I said, he has a broad skill set. He, he can adjust to anything. It's all about reminding him of these things, sharpening up the tools, refreshing his memory. So, like a lot of things like that, I'm doing in this fight is not studying just Mike Tyson. I'm studying Roy Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: showing him film of look what you did here in this fight. Look what you did here. Interesting. You know, look how you look how you made this adjustment. Look what you're capable of doing. You didn't do it in this fight when you should have been able to do it. It's not because you didn't do it, it's just because for whatever reason, you know, his, you know, he he needed he needed that little bit of a reminder to say, this is, you know, make this adjustment. And that's what I mean, that's what a trainer's there to do. You know, so um, we're working on a lot of things that he did as the middleweight for this fight and a lot of things that he's probably only done, believe it or not. Like I said, without letting the cat out of the bag is that he's done maybe only a few times in his career, but he's very capable of doing it. At the same time, of course, you're looking at the blueprint of what has been very successful for other guys fighting Mike Tyson. But um, as much as studying Mike, I've been studying Roy to be able to show him in his fights, look what you did here. This is what you need to do in this fight. Look what you did. Oh, I'm sorry. But, yeah, I mean, you know, certain things, like I said – in his fights that he's done, but maybe he hasn't done them in a long time. Mm-hmm. But he, has in his arsenal, to do these things, and he—I mean—he has a great skill set. He, he developed some habits. Of course, we know in this fight he can't be up against the ropes. The fights that he was up against the ropes are the fights that he, you know, has has had problems. You know, so of course, you know that's just uh, a no-brainer. But there's a lot of the things in his skill set that he has that. Uh, gonna, You know, he really has the uh, capability of giving Mike Tyson his fits. And Mike's had trouble with uh, boxers in the, in the past. And, and I also feel like, you know, people are talking about Mike Tyson's power. I mean, Roy Jones has – he's had more fights than Mike, but he's actually knocked out more opponents than Mike. He has 47 knockouts. So he's a puncher in this fight too. And Mike's been inactive since 2005 – Roy hasn't fought the high-caliber guys, but at the same time, Roy only really retired like two and a half years ago. He was mm-hmm. still very active. So, has, um, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. Has um, Is this a version of Roy Jones in 2020? Have you found him to be physically capable of kind of doing the things in sparring that you've pointed out to him? Here's what you have to get back to. Have you seen him able to execute them?
2: Yeah, amazing, really amazing. I mean, even, uh, i tell you, it's like certain things, uh, maybe physically. uh, His hand speed is still just incredible. I mean, it's just incredible. His, His foot speed, maybe not quite as well, but he's learned how to adjust to do certain things to make up for it, where before, even when I worked with him in the past, he was kind of like lost because he didn't have his foot speed. So it, it was one of the most big part of his arsenal. Even though he had the ability to adjust to it, he had been only using that part of his arsenal for so long as a light heavyweight because he was just bigger. I mean, he was just faster. Foot speed was incredible to the other light heavyweights. And when he was fighting middleweights and super middleweights, even though he had faster foot speed, he had to bring in more Parts of his arsenal as a lighter guy, as he mm-hmm. got he- as he got heavier, as when he went up to heavyweight, he was so f- his foot speed was so predominant, so dominant that that's really all he needed to do was to move his feet to get away from punches.
1: Okay, so interesting. You know, yeah. you're 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 uh, ch- kind of uh, challenging the conventional wisdom by some that uh, his getting away from the tech. Some people would argue that he his technique wasn 't as good as you say it was early in his career, but you can make a strong case for, for your case that he got away from it uh, and and these are the things that you know you have to, you have to bring back. Um, it, let me ask you finally about that fight um, you 're banking a lot of this on the fact that a Roy has been more active recently, which is true, no question about that. Uh, and that he, in, in effect, could be sharper. The other question I have is the length of the fight. Now, I did the last two Mike Tyson fights when he was active, uh, the ones with Danny Williams and uh, McBride. And while we've seen Mike Tyson, you know, go like a maniac on the on the pads for, for a minute, we don't know how Mike Tyson's going to be when you get to round four or five. And while Roy Jones is clearly older and, you know, is you know, he's in his fifties. Uh, part of this, I'm guessing on your part is based on what Mike Tyson will you see once it gets to round three or four, assuming you guys can get it there.
2: Correct. Correct. And, um, I, I think, like I said, that, um, in order to get it there, it, it, it takes, uh, what I feel Roy has a lot more as he's gotten older, being more cerebral.
1: Um, yeah, Obviously. that's a good point, and tra- and I, you hit on it before. I didn't interrupt you, but training fighters, as he has, you know, people right. accused him, as you know well, Noah, saying, well, he was athletic and he got by on that, and and we all know that at parts of his career he did, but by training fighters, and he's been a very good trainer and successful one. This may this may be, have really helped him for this fight, huh? Absolutely, absolutely, and um, even even us working
2: together. Um, we're really jiving our thoughts together a lot better. Uh, Like I said, when I worked with him in the past, he was still, you know, it was very foreign to him to step away from um, just being that great athlete and being so dominant, to be able to tap into these more technical things, more more cerebral things to be able to, to, you know, like I said, like without letting the cat out of the bag, but obviously to set the pace and, to sure. do certain Things that, that uh, before he really never had to do. Because he's right. just, I mean, you're talking about, I, I think he's, I really do even work with him at this age. And he, I work with all these young fighters as well. And you just realize that this guy is, I mean, if he isn't, I mean, it's, I know I'm an historian, so I don't want to take anything away from anybody else, but um, just possibly the greatest athlete that's ever boxed with physical talents. You know what I mean? Speed, hand speed, and foot speed. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean. Floyd, of course, Floyd is very quick, and, but Roy is just. I mean, I, I just. It's hard for me to even fathom working with him now. How unbelievable he was in his twenties, and, and why he, why he did get away from the things that uh, he needs to do in this fight. That he actually. If you watch him coming up as a middleweight even before he won the title and when he fought Hopkins and then, like I said, going into the James Tony fight, I mean, he has a great skill set. And even in other fights that you've seen uh, when he's had to do certain things on the inside, like my point is he could fight on the inside better than people realize that he can. Um, And he has a tremendous skill set defensively and offensively, uh, combinations You know, a lot of times in the light heavyweights, he's only throwing one or two punches and the guys couldn't see it. He's knocking guys out. But to be able to throw combinations and bunches and punches, you have to really go back maybe even as a middleweight. But he has all those tools. We're just sharpening them back up, refreshing his memory on, on things that he's done in the past and things that he will need to do in this fight. And he and he's really, I mean, he's really uh, making those adjustments. And he's been spawning some really, uh, without naming names, some decent prospects that are you, you know, young guys in their twenties. That uh, uh, and he's just looked tremendous. So really, really looking forward to this fight. We're, we're real confident. Well, it's
1: going to be fun. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. And um. And everybody will be looking forward to it. November twenty eighth. I want to mention that. Uh, uh, a reminder to everybody that the tom 's channel World Class Boxing Channel on YouTube is really, really intriguing and fun to watch you 've heard Tom here uh, you know uh, uh, explain many of the nuances uh, of boxing uh, and his videos do it in a much more elaborate fashion so if you are a person as you might well be watching this podcast that um, has an interest in the sport overall but certainly someone that is either involved in training or a young boxer or someone that aspires to be a young boxer, this channel will give you uh, some great uh, tips. Tom, I, I really appreciate you coming on and I wish you the best of luck with Roy in uh, November. And um, we may uh, check back in with you uh, after and, uh, and get some of your thoughts then as well. Definitely, I really appreciate you having me on. Al. Thank you. All right, Tom. Thank you so much. I right, have a good day now. Take care. So, our chat with Tommy Yankello, I thought it was fascinating, uh, and and we will be interested in seeing him in the corner with Roy Jones uh, Jr. when uh, he takes on Mike Tyson. And Trip, I know we actually have one more question from uh, a viewer, and it's uh, kind of appropriate at this point in the show.
0: Yeah, and our final question: Do you have any boxing greats from the past coming up on
1: the show? I'm so glad that was asked because uh, we are going to have the uh, the terrific former champion Vinny Pazienza visiting with us. Of course, he uh, not only was a champion of boxing but uh, had a f- feature film done on his story as he returned to the sport after a broken neck. It was one of the most extraordinary uh, stories you could ever see in, in, in sports in which he was able to— uh, show the grit and determination to come back to the sport and uh, and be really effective. So, uh, and he, and he's a fun guy. Vinny is uh, is fun, and he, we'll talk about it when, I, when I'm with him, but my biggest fan in the world, probably, was Vinny's mom. <laughs> she loved me. She used to bring cannolis to us when we'd be on set, like getting ready to cover a weigh-in or something. She'd show up and... <laughs> And bring me cannolis. I mean, she's such a sweet woman. Um, So I'm sure we'll get into that uh, as well. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Of course, as always, my thanks to Tripp for his fine work and also Lee for producing this podcast. And we'll see you next time.